special episode for you today. The plan for today is to talk about community-first game development or community-led game development. I have two amazing guests today. We have Kathleen Osgood, who is the Director of Business Development at Sky Mavis. And we also have Glenn McGuire, who is the founder and CEO at Tribes Studio. Um, you'll see why specifically these two people are two of the probably best people to join me in this conversation. First, so... Lots, lots has been happening over the past couple of weeks. And Kathleen, you seem to have become the new face of Ronin. <laughs> How is that? Been? Uh, it's been incredible. I am so happy now to be out there and have announced these game studios. We've been working extremely hard over the past year to uh, set up the, the vision and the future of Sky Mavis and becoming a publisher. Uh, and then also bringing on additional games into Ronin. And we're a little bit different than some of the other chains. We're permission-based. So we've evaluated over 250 teams. Uh, we have found great partners to work with. And yeah, it's finally, it's so great to finally be like, all right, guys, this is it. They're here mm -hmm. because the folks on Twitter have been like, Kathleen, where are all the new games? And I just wanted to tell them like, hey, we're being so strategic about this and we're setting up internally so we can handle the capacity and really get them out there and help build them in a meaningful way. And yeah, it feels great. Amazing. So Sky Mavis is out of the closet, finally. It we must are out of the closet. It must be feeling good to be able to tell all these haters that were, you know, pointing at you and like, ah, you know, look at Axie Infinity. They haven't been doing anything, you know, for years. Um, and to just now sh have something to show for and just point at amazing builders like Glenn um, and say, this, exactly. is, this is coming. Well, we've we've silently been shipping this entire time. So if, even if you look at some of the pieces of infrastructure we have, the Mavis Hub, which we hope to become the Steam Plus App Store of Web3, that's been being built. And that's where all of these games are going to live, both on desktop and we have the really amazing plans for what's happening within the wallet. Uh, and we also launched things like Social Login, where we're extremely focused on like what that user onboarding looks like. Because we have this amazing community of Web3 gamers, but we're very focused on generating more users into the Ronin ecosystem for these games and having it be this really uh, clean experience. So we've been silently shipping. We've also been building out the Axie Empire. So one of the games that we brought on, they are building an Axie game. Um, the group comes out of South Korea. The studio, they left a studio called Sunday Toes, which was bought by We Made, and they made the smash hit Annie Pong series, which did like 2.2 billion in revenue, 140 million downloads. They created this IP and expanded it throughout South Korea, which is a market we want to tap into. And now this core team is building an Axie narrative of match three game and by doing this we've internally had to really get strict on what our lore guidelines look like so we have the builders program which is more amateur developers granted they're creating these amazing axie experiences where they're now following lore guidelines uh and now we have all of these extremely um uh, uh studios that have done a lot of like numbers in the past and have all of this experience building out these Axie uh, related games. And so, yeah, we're working on our lore guidelines, our art guidelines. I want it to be a, you know, like this is Mario, but now you have all of these different interoperable experiences for Axie and you do that by having a strict world that is built that other builders can build within. Because if that is, if it's just no rules, willy nilly, uh, it gets a little bit disorganized. So yeah, we've been shipping and building and super excited to uh, talk to some, talk about some of the studios that we have uh, mm. partnered with. Great. Just before we, we do that, one of the big narrative points around what Web3 means for games is this sense of interoperability or, or this concept of, of interoperability. When you mentioned building out the Axie IP, what does that mean for the Axies itself? Is that where these experiences are centered around? Yes. So we have this idea that we've been building out called Axie Core, and it's not Axie Origins. It's not our homeland game. It's not this narrative match three, our builders program games. It's this just this 
idea of these assets that belong to Axie itself that then can be leveraged throughout all of our other games. And we have some announcements later in the future as to like what that means from our interoperability perspective. Um, so many I can't dive into now. I know, yeah. but um, yeah, we want to give as much utility to Axie as possible. So these developers are able to le- leverage the Axies themselves, our land, our tokens, SLP, AXS, Ronin, our lore guidelines, our art guidelines, and some of these other big teams building Axie. We then will be able to take some of what they build and put it back into Axie core for then all of the other developers around there to utilize as well. Very exciting. But now mm-hmm. let's talk about non-Axie IPN games. Okay. Um, maybe, Kathleen, I think, so a bit of context. I spoke with Kathleen and I spoke with Glenn and Kathleen does a way better job at, at <laughs> pitching what Glenn's doing than he he does himself. And so why don't you, Kathleen, talk us through maybe <laughs> with a focus on tribes, um, the okay. other gaming experiences that you're, you're looking at and building up? Okay, I'll get to... Th- tribes last so I'll, I'll run through the first initial ones uh, and every single game we have onboarded has been highly strategic it has a different approach we have to place our bets in many different areas and we have to deliver experiences that cater to everybody right because we want the mavis hub in our wallet to be this trusted place where users can go and play web3 games that they trust you know that doesn't exist right now and there's many reasons why you can trust us and trust that the games are that are coming out of the mavis hub are good it's because we're deeply partnering with these teams. Uh, we have an entire operating team dedicated. We've almost set it up as if it were like a Web2 publisher, but now we have this cool community element. And we have a games integration manager, um, a product team, a go-to-market team, where we're really leveraging all of our infrastructure and assets uh, to help build amazing products. And, of course, the advisory side of things as to how these teams will bring on Web3. Uh, but then also our gold is our community, our community and our creators. And I think that a really great example of how this worked is if you, our first relationship, one of our first partnerships is called um, Directive Games. It's a studio founded by one of the creative directors of CCP for eight years who worked on EVE Online uh, for eight years, which is a ma- one of the biggest gaming econ- economies in the world. They're launching a game called The Machines Arena. It's a 4v4 top-down shooter. Uh, there's amazing technology involved in it. And it's actually actually launched on the Epic Store even prior to uh, being launched in the Mavis Hub. And we like this approach because we know this team can generate users and generate excitement. And a lot of the barriers into Web3... It comes from people like doubting, hey, maybe some of these Web3 games aren't as fun. And so what we did uh, for Machines Arena is we gave uh, the beta launched on the day that we made this big announcement that we have new, we were opening up Ronin, we're announcing DPOS, we have five game studios, and uh, all, Twitter was taken over by the Machines Arena. We gave uh, 2,500 creators access to play the game a week before we launched it. They created all of this content. There's folks dressing up in cosplay already. We're really focused on bringing these teams their 1,000 first true fans. And that's what we can provide through our enormous community, enormous ecosystem. These creators, by giving them experiences to to play before it gets out there and by giving them codes to give away they in self get more clout right because then people go to them as hey like they these folks know what's coming out beforehand uh so if you look at what happened with machines arena we had massive engagement they definitely got their first thousand true fans uh esports tournaments all over the place and we're continuing to create content in collaboration with them so very excited about Machines Arena. Uh, one I talked about earlier called Team Bali. They're the folks out of Korea that's building the uh, narrative Axie Match 3. Uh, the other one we have is called um, Battle Bears. So Battle Bears is a um, it's an IP, it's a MOBA-type game that was developed out of uh, Vietnam by a studio called Skyvu. And Battle Bears has been like a game for the past nine years basically and it is this like og ip and trung our founder went over to the office played the game for 12 hours straight and he's like we can put nft elements into this um we care they care deeply about their ip we care deeply about our ip and uh we think it's a great uh 
introduction to see like, hey, can we get some other 40 million, the 40 million people that have downloaded this game, could we get them then reinterested and possibly like owning their assets and getting into this new world through Web3 and also leverage what we're building as a new mechanism of user acquisition for this team. Um, the other last game before I'll get to tribes is called Bold. Uh, and some people may think this is an odd move for us, but uh, the team is they're building a series of cricket games. Cricket is the second most popular sport in the entire world. India, we identified through a lot of data, is an emerging market we want to tap into. We did really well in the Southeast Asia emerging market. That's why Axie took off. Uh, but we want that to happen in a new emerging market. And India has 600 million Indians that are under the age of 25, which is prepped and prime for not only blockchain technology, which they are very friendly for, uh, but also gaming. And they're a mobile-first country. These games are pretty low fidelity. Uh, the founder is absolutely incredible, has uh, boots on the ground. All these cricket players associated with him was on Shark Tank, sold previous gaming companies before, and we really believe that he could be the one to take this to the masses. Um, and then we have Tribes, which I am so excited to talk about. Uh, we, Glenn and I were introduced through a mutual friend, uh, shout out Henry. And the second He's I been met on, Glenn, by the way. Henry's been on, yeah. Henry's yeah, 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 an yeah. advisor of mine. I respect him deeply. He's been so instrumental in my growth in terms of uh, the gaming ecosystem. And I'm forever grateful that he made this introduction to Glenn. Second I met Glenn, I'm like, this guy needs to be within our the Sky Mavis family because he gets it. He gets community so deeply. And I want, I want him to touch on his background and how it relates to what he's building himself. He's also the most humble person you'll ever talk to. So it takes like a couple conversations to understand that he helped build some of the biggest, or he built some of the biggest communities in all of gaming at both Scopely and King. And he is the type of person that has the same ethos as Sky Mavis does in terms of reciprocity. The more you enable your community, which is what we did through Axie, right? It was the first time that users sense this deep ownership uh, and sense of belonging because they could own their ass gaming assets in a unique way. And then they could be invested in the open market through AXS and what did they do because they felt the sense of ownership? They gave back. They created guilds and DAOs and podcasts and music videos and content. And it had this mass network effect. And I'm very drawn to this industry because of that. I originally, uh, my, I got my DGen rocks off uh, in meme coins. And I saw these community members come together and contribute in this meaningful way towards something that was made of a meme. It meant nothing. So I kept thinking, what if we can actually structure what happened with Axie Infinity and we can structure uh, and get people behind helping like create something and contribute and then structure that contribution? And that's exactly what Glenn is doing. So he is building a social MMO called Tribesters Island of the Solos. Uh, he is building out this incredible world, being extremely thoughtful about all of the IP. I don't know how much I can say, so I'm going to let him, <laughs> him get into it himself. But prior to launching this MMO, which is going to take a minute, he's launching a community engagement platform that does just what I was talking about. It enables individuals to contribute to the game as it's being built and after it's being built. A game is technically always being built. But also receive rewards for contributing. So they're still talking about where, what those types of rewards look from, but it's a very structured uh, uh, way of creating with your community. He calls it community-led gaming. You're going to be able to help contribute to lore, character development, art style, and then be rewarded for it. I mean, what if it kind of Glenn gives this example, so I'll repeat it. But if like J.R.R. Tolkien allowed little bits of Lord of the Rings to be developed by the fans and the people that were in the community, like these people would feel such a mass sense of belonging. And that's what we really believe that Glenn is building with this community engagement platform and structuring what people can bring to the table. And so they're just feeling this overwhelming sense of, of belonging. And we think that's an amazing way of fostering community as opposed to only launching NFTs two years before your game is being built and not having a method of, of, of delivering content and utility for those NFTs. So we are so excited about Glenn. We believe this could be an absolute game changer in terms of 
Web3 in general, and then also how communities are made and being built, because now you can have this mass sense of ownership through NFTs and tokens. And yeah, I'm going to stop talking, but we're so excited to now have Glenn um, kind of give an overview and dive into his beautiful, magical mind. Uh, so. <clears throat> Yeah. I want to meet this guy. He sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't see the reflection in the mirror in comparison to, to that. But look, yeah. a little background. I I spent um, some years at King. I spent some years at Scopely. Um, primarily always on the uh, customer side, on the player experience side. And really delved into you know greater understanding behavioral <clears throat> elements of why people play games, what they love, what they're frustrated about, you know. So it gives you a really good bedrock. It gives you a really good understanding of really what people want out of games as as we go forward, you know. And <clears throat> we the token um, examples really really great i also played world of warcraft when i was a much younger person and it, like the probability of me being a fan for life if i had any influence over the world of azeroth whether or not it was designed a little character wrote a part in a quest like i would still wear that t-shirt today you know <laughs> so so i think when people fall in love with with brands and they have the opportunity to be a part of it what if that came first instead of it becoming last where we we kind of consume it and then we fall in love with it? What if we created enough space to de develop that IP together? Um, so so that's the, the, the very, very high-level premise of it. And, and then in, in truth, like Web3 communities are so passionate and it, it's just probabilistically certain that there's incredible talent in it so what if we get to leverage off that talent base too so like in a fun way we think we're bringing structure to a conversation you know we're incredibly uh, humbled and happy to be a part of the sky mavis ecosystem and community we've already had some very early engagements with incredibly intelligent people that want to be a part of that early journey so we you know, we, we think we can build an incredible gaming world together with a fantastic community. And, and you know, that, that does require time. It requires technology. We're building a platform to help us manage all of those things. You know, but we think if we, if we pull it off, we've got this incredible IP that was built and influenced by a community that will want to stay with it forever. And, and it's a, <clears throat> maybe it's a super corny thing, but... We're in a we're in a space that we now have hundred year franchises, you know. Mickey Mickey Mouse is coming up to the point in a fun way that he, he the IP is no longer protected by trademarks, you know, because it's a hundred years old. It's insane, you know. The, the so the probability again of the next generation, the next IP being created by Web three communities is like super super high. You know, and, and then we have a we have a base we call it tribesters they are these cutesy little characters that live in a magical island so you know we, we we have a structure but then everything is influenceable what they do next what their background is who they are what they stand for it can all be community influenced and and then as we go forward we build out a world a social mmo that this comes to life and then you get to play the little character that you help design are there examples of this early player slash community involvement in games um, done before? And if not, why? Because it sounds, it, it makes a ton of sense. I mean, it makes a ton of sense. It's hard. That's the, probably the obvious reason. And if you think about how games are built and how people consume games, you really want it to be as polished as possible. So, that, so there's maybe a little bit of an industry bias towards... Yeah, super smart people in a room. We build games together. We think we have most of the right answers. We we do use things like player research. You know, we we take qualitative and quantitative viewpoints, and the hope is that you make the product as best as possible, and and then you loop in customers kind of almost after the fact, after it's launched, because it it is super super hard to do that as you're building the product, but we just think about it in a different way because. If if you if you offer choices to your community, what's 
is there a really a wrong choice in it? So let's say, for instance, uh, launching a character inside a game. You know, if I have a character-driven game, you know, there's probably a lot of work goes in behind the scenes to choosing a character, how it's balanced, when it's launched. You know, I make those decisions, I launch it, and then I find out the, the community thinks it sucks, that that was a shitty character and they shouldn't have, we shouldn't have launched it. You know, so there's... There's then a feedback loop on how you change it and if the meta was right. But what if the kind of more community-focused way is to present two options and say, here's character one, and character one is this thing, and here's character two, and character two is this thing, and it has this kind of power structure and blah, blah, blah. Uh, so then the community gets to vote on which character was in. There's kind of no wrong decision in it because, again, if the community has voted for it, and it doesn't preclude the other character going in the game at, at another point, of course, but it means that the majority of the decision-making was done with your audience. So, like, the shock factor goes down, the interest goes up. Would I buy that character? Would I play that character? Would I want to collect for that character if I was a part of choosing for that character? I probably would. So, again, it's like we, we have a fun thing. We call it the broccoli and carrots you know, it's like you provide two sound options and you're happy with both. So then there kind of is no wrong decision for us putting content inside the world because it's what the community really wanted. You know, so so like it is just hard. It's the reason why we're investing so much in, in an engagement platform. We're building proprietary technology to manage hundreds of thousands of voices to make sure that they have a home and they have a safe place to engage and that, you know, that they can engage in a way in which they want to, you know, so that te technology doesn't exist. I can't go out. I can't buy it. I can't install it, you know, because again, we, we have to be able to effectively manage hundreds of thousands of voices at one time. And is that then that Discord doesn't do where it's just doesn't work once you boss a certain number of people? Yeah. Discord for me, look, Discord's a great product that has its place, but you know the way in which it's built with chronology and threads, it's hard to find information and it's hard to kind of meaningfully engage with large scale audiences in it. So we almost have to design from from zero from 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 a, a completely different problem solved perspective. So like we have residency programs, so that's a structural point inside the engagement platform that allows us to handle um how people will engage with, with certain aspects of the game. So we have a residency program for art, for lore, and for game assets. We then create effectively like a campaign or or a like think of it as almost like a contest where somebody can engage with, with that. So that's highly structural. It's easy for us to create. It's easy for users to find. It's easy for users to engage with and submit. You know, so trying to do that in Discord where things are timeline and chronology base would just be almost almost impossible got it it seems to me looking back at the history of games and specifically game design that at a certain point you would base the decisions on talents or on people that had already built games and that will be like the way you would move forward and the way you would make decisions in the mobile era um, it seems like it shifted more towards like a rapid iteration and testing. Is this involving the community early the new way to reduce uncertainty and to you know give yourself a higher chance at success, which in games is probably one of the hardest things to get? Yeah, no, it totally is. <clears throat> but, but look, I, I'd even stretch it out one further because games are not only expensive to make they're expensive to market it's hard to find customers you know we live in a world th that attention is is hard to find and unobtain and as a result expensive so like i i think gaming will change how games are made will change forever with the engagement of web3 communities i like we see it with absolute clarity we're building our our whole studio ecosystem and structure around that notion and like you know, it's again, it's a really, really simple thesis w with complex behavioral elements to it. But if I'm engaged with 
let's say the building of tribesters and I have a win I'm in there I'm engaging with it I feel like I have influence I feel like my voice matters I'm probably going to tell three of my friends they're probably going to come in they're probably going to share my wins they're probably going to play the game you know even even maybe if it's not a genre that they super like they're going to give it a chance because they were involved and feel emotionally connected to it you know so we think of it the difference between you know mining and magnetism you know, like Web 2 mobile games have to mine, you have to buy lots of uh, customers and then filter through to find the 2% that actually spend in your game and filter through to find, you know, the 10% that become VIPs. So that that's, you know, an analogy is that that's a mining process where Web3 gaming, community-like gaming is a magnet opportunity. It's one person comes in and they amplify their excitement and engagement and they bring in three people and they bring in three people and everybody stays because it's a really safe open environment that everybody again has a has a common purpose has an excitement around what it is that you're building you know and 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 there's a fun side of it too that what constitutes the game will change we think of the game in an experiential way i'll i'll try not to get too metaphorical with it but like you know, back in the day, I'm old enough to buy a game, blow out the dust and put it in a cartridge. That's not the world that we live in today. People want greater experience. They want greater influence over, over the game. So we think building the game together is a part of the gaming experience. You know, live operating the game with your audience is just will be the new norm. So, you know, if, if you have the opportunity like we did to start again and build everything from day zero, you know, in Tribe Studio, this is this is how you would design it with absolutely with your customer in mind to get those early feedback loops in and your highly engaged audience in. And, you know, we're. Again, super, super lucky to be a part of the Sky Mavis Network in this instance where we've got 25, 2700 content creators to engage with and listen to as we build it out. So, you know, if, if we think of like mobile games as a very hit driven industry, it's hard to break the top 10 now. It, it's becoming super expensive to launch games. You, know, you can be in a 10, 20 million dollar mode and get in a game to, to market these days quite easily. You know, so how do you take a different approach to it? You know, find your audience that has the same core values as you, treat them respectfully, reward and recognize the benefit of having that audience, and then build incredible products with them. You know, so I, I think it's a game changer. Kathleen, is the platform you see being used across the Sky Mavis ecosystem, um, maybe even even all of the games building there? Yeah, so that's why we were really interested not only in what Glenn was building from a MMO perspective, like the social, idea of a social MMO and how he's developing his IP and lore, but uh, being able to leverage this technology across all games being built on Ronin as a method of fostering community was really important to us as well. So this tech is available currently to all games building on Ronin when it does when it does launch and become available to the public, probably a couple months after we'll, we'll have to figure out um, what that looks like. But yeah, it definitely is a perk of the Ronin ecosystem for quite some time. Really exciting. Are there, um, you guys think, and I think Glenn, you, you might have, uh, I'm sure you have thought about this. Are there types of games that naturally fit better for this types of, th this type of approach? I think, it feels to me you describe tribes as you know different um, different groups that each have their own quirks and natures and you know I heard you say that these are well thought out and and by that I'm I'm assuming that they fit with you know general like human groups and and and, and types of people um, and so you know it, it sounds to me like what you're building initially is a perfect fit um, how much does that that extend to other other genres. <laughs> So I guess I'd answer it in two ways, because two parts to what is the perfect fit for a Web3 game? I think story has more to do with it than genre does. Um, so that's the kind of first thing that we double down on. So as we're thinking about the world and I'll 
I'll try my best not to uh, have any leaks and spoilers in, in the middle of it. But like we think about it in, in a highly structured way. We think about the island, where it's placed, why nobody has found it, uh, what power structures there are, are there political structures? How does the chronology of events in their world versus the wider world in which it lives in impact the storyline? So I think creating a depth inside your your lore or inside your ip is incredibly important because it just makes it way more interesting there's more opportunity for people to to engage in it so if you build that structure right and the you know full disclosure we we have an award-winning writer helping us build our our lore out at the minute you know, a BAFTA award-winning writer. So we're not cutting any corners with launching anything here. You know, so so number one, I think get that job right. Number two, then it, it allows you to have different, let's call it game product experiences as a result of that. So we think a social MMO really fits with it because you, you've got the breadth of the world. You've got the ability for identity. You've got the ability for like choose your own tribe, choose your own choices are things that we talk a lot about in internally but that's not to say that there there aren't an opportunity for like it's not the right phrase like micro games make them sound small but but like offshoot games that make sense to the storyline so you know is there an opportunity that we could build a game around an event in this world i think that's absolutely certain is there an opportunity for for us to you know again take an event that's inside the lore of the game that's so compelling and make that a different genre based game yes but again it comes back to doing a great job with with your with your lore with your story with the world that you're building make it feel compelling you know potentially have that sense of impending doom you know that that sometimes great stories have in order for you to be able to again leverage that across as many genres as, as possible you mentioned Having a, a BAFTA winning writer on the team right now who's helping you write out the lore, how much of a change in work structure does it become, you know, from a practical but also from a you know theoretical point of view when you suddenly are not fully 100% in charge of, of the decisions anymore and you have to take into account at every step, you know, what the community wants and feels? Yeah, well, it's it's fun. We were talking about the roles, and and this morning I was uh, talking to somebody about a role that may appear in the in the short to mid term, which is a lore historian. So that's how serious we take it. That in the future we may have to have somebody as a part of our team. And by the way, that could be a community driven role. It doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, an employee driven role, but a role that takes into account when we make a change when the community designs something when they add something to it how do we factor it into the history of tribesters you know so so like we literally have a a historian role to kind of factor in there you know so so again i i think there's some things that we think are structural you know like The tribesters live on an island. They live in a tribe structure. They live in a magical world. It probably doesn't have steampunk elements. It probably doesn't have technology elements. Uh, it probably doesn't have lightsabers. You know, so if the community all of a sudden tell me that they want lightsabers in the tribesters game, like it's going to be a topic of conversation. That's how open we are to the whole thing now. Does that fit in the world that I designed in my brain? You know, that we've got amazing, incredibly talented people helping us create structure around it? Like, no, but but that's not the point. The point is, if the community feel that that's a direction that the story and the world should go in, then it becomes a talk, topic of conversation. You know, so that's how serious we treat the community's influence. Would it be fair... If I made or, you know, put this as a sort of trade-off between optimal storytelling, you started, you know, um, this would giving the example about uh, Tolkien and the Lord of the Rings universe. And, you know, I would dare to call, I'm a big Lord of the Rings fan, as the Lord of the Rings universe as almost perfect, right? Um, is it fair to put this as a sort of trade-off? Like, the more you involve the community, the potentially less of a optimal 
story you get, but the more community buy-in you get and involvement and like a strong attraction. Is that fair of, or am I, am I uh, completely wrong? I, I think it's possible, but here's a different way to look at it. What if, so if we look at Lord of the Rings, what if somebody in your community is about to write The Hobbit? You know, so The Hobbit is effectively an offshoot of The Lord of the Rings, you know? So what if that, you know, wasn't in Tolkien's original design? He created this incredibly world in the struggle in the darkness that, you know, is not only in... in in the races in in that story, you know, in the world in that story, and it's the fight for good. But you know, what if what if he didn't have the Hobbit in him, and that was something that the community did? So, or what if there was, I don't know, a sub character inside the Hobbit that all of a sudden gets its own identity and its own origin story? I think what I would maybe politely point to is the Star World. Star Wars uh, world has been very good at telling offshoot stories. And I think that they could easily be community driven. So like if we look at Rogue One, Rogue One's origin story is incredibly interesting. It, it was a person that, you know, was in and around the Star Wars movies. It was one line in the movie, which was something like, you know, um, I, th I think it's it's something like, many boffins died to get us this information type mm -hmm. thing. And it's like that created a whole movie and a whole a series of characters, you know, and another world underneath it to fit it. So, so I think it's about fit more than it is quality. Um, and I think, you know, I just think that when you get community at scale, when you're talking about two, three, four million people, it's probabilistic that there's incredible talent in there. You know, so I don't think that the... The breadth of the the voice means that it reduces the potency of the voice. I think it's the opposite. I think we're about to find some really incredibly talented people in there. I can see that. Yeah, fascinating. When can we expect something to play from you, Glenn? You're the worst. I know. <laughs> so, so it's a very valid question. So, look, absolutely. First of all, yeah the way in which we build games are different. We think that's the exciting things about us. So we build the lore and then we build the, we launch the engagement platform so we can engage with the audience, our customers, our players, our community, so that they can build the game together. Now, we still believe in keeping people excited along the journey. So we have like, we'll have something very compelling every, every 30 to 90 days. So that's uh, that's something that we haven't announced to the market yet. There you go. So you could, you could have that, you know. So we think of it in cycles. We think of it 30, 60, 90 is, is our cycles that we develop, uh, you know, a series of experiences internally. Um, you know, but look, also what when you get the product and what the product is is going to change too and we should talk a little bit about that so maybe maybe back in the day like a thousand ten thousand customers got a beta product access and that was considered really good engagement you know what was that product that product was probably nearly fit for market you know and it was really it was it was polished and your customers got to play it early and and those customers felt really special but our view is it's like we're probably going to redefine what an alpha is customers you know your community members will be involved in genuine testing guilds and DAOs will be involved in genuine testing so your gaming experience as to when you get to let's say consume content is, is going to change with us too and that that could be in a like a 68 month window that we've got people in servers it, it, like and, it, and this is fun for me the first time i seen a game tester i got that excited and i talked to them about how incredible their role was playing games all day and they're like no i literally i run into walls and then i move over two spaces and then i run into another wall and i move <laughs> you know so there's a lot of wall running that you know, in the industry, we might think is dead boring, but from a community perspective or a guild or a DAO, they could be incredibly interested in that experience and that, and that opportunity too. So, so you know, 
Yes, we'll have experiences every 30 to 90 days. Some of those will be experiences that just don't exist today for, for gamer, gamers and gaming communities. Um, and, and in the game, we think that that's what the excitement is for, for community like gaming. Mm-hmm. By the way, the reason I ask annoying questions is especially specifically <laughs> so I get answers that you shouldn't be giving me and, and get it's worse true. first. It's true. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a good tactic. <laughs> Maybe. Glenn's such a people um, pleaser too that he definitely like you push him a little bit and he'll be like, ah. no. I'll give you a He's little bit. First, that guy. My first ever meeting with Glenn, he brought cookies. <laughs> that tells you a lot yeah. about a person. <laughs> he brought me a scarf from Ireland <laughs> when I met him at NFT Curry, NYC. Was it green? Yeah. It was green. Oh, of course. Yeah. Uh, obviously. Yeah, yeah obviously. It's very quality yeah. as well. I'm a big gift <laughs> person. If you give me a gift, like uh. you know. That's well, that, it, that's it, how you get it. That's you get, <laughs> how you get a partnership and an investment. Yeah, yeah, uh, no, but <laughs> <laughs> it, it probably says a lot about both of us, Nico. That our first meeting, um, it was in a park in New York. It was nice and open. I brought cookies, and and you were going to do some incredibly exciting, never done before. Um, uh, uh, um, oh, what was it? It was, it was. I got my ass kicked in, in Brazilian jiu-jitsu yes, right after. Brazilian jiu-jitsu. So it's <laughs> yeah. like my idea of healthiness was walk to a park and eat a cookie. <laughs> His was cram a business meeting in before hit, hitting, hitting the mats. So it yeah. was a very different uh, outlook that day. It was a great, yeah. it was a great conversation. It, it was a good day. It was a good day indeed. Um, good. Um, where can people find more information and follow you? Uh, maybe Glenn, you can go first. I will um, at Tribesters World, uh, which is our Twitter handle, um, seems to be the, the best place at the minute. Um, we're launching a pretty big campaign around how we introduce the Tribesters World, um, and and we'll launch a lot of that through Twitter. So Twitter is the best place. At Tribesters World is is the handle. Fantastic, Kathleen. What's your, now what's you've your announced... handle, Glenn, as well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. My handle is at Glenn McGuire. That's, um, that's but Irish humbleness, <laughs> Christian Irish guilt. Humbleness. Yeah. <laughs> my, my, my Irish guilt kicks in, in again. That was my deflection te- tactic to push yeah, it yeah. over to the corporate um, okay. one. No, look, I do, I do post that I have been writing substacks on some things that, that are kind of personally interesting in what it is that we're, we're trying to build. So um, absolutely hit me up on mm-hmm. Twitter at Glenn McGuire. So, Kathleen, if people want to send you a virtual scarf, um, where can they find you? <laughs> um, I am Cosgood on Twitter with three O's, so K-O-S-G-O-O-O-D. And then you can follow Sky Mavis, Ronan, Axie. They're all in my bio, so give them all a follow. Join our community. Uh, you can get a starter Axie for free if you want to start engaging with us. But I... What I have to say to folks that aren't in our community yet, like we're at the genesis of all of this. We're getting, we're giving games like Tribesters where you can be a part of something from the ground up. You know, you don't have to be in love with Axie, but now we have an opportunity for you to, you know, fall in love and be part of one of these new first games on Ronin. And they will most likely be the first major NFT drop on Ronin aside from Axie itself. Still, you know, we're still discussing what that looks like, but, um, you know, we, there's a lot, oh yeah, there's a lot of opportunity here for developers. I'm also looking for additional studios. We'll probably onboard five additional partners this year. Uh, we're being really strategic about this next batch and making sure we have the operational capacity to handle it internally. But I'm still searching. So if you're a developer, uh, partnerships at skymavis.com, you can email me. And yeah, I think that is, that's all the places. The partnerships you're looking for that is that more on the on the, like a genre spectrum or is it more on a, like a team spectrum? Um, what are you looking for more specifically? If you can if you can share, yeah, it is team based. I'm really looking for I what Glenn, which is probably a topic we should have discussed here. Like, what does UGC versus community influenced mean in what he's building? But I'm looking yeah. for like a pure UGC. Like these folks are helping develop like a robot block style. These folks are help actually like developing experiences because I do think that uh, UGC is like a massive area to tap into that web three enables is this ownership of experiences kind of like in combination with modding, but I'm like, I'm looking for one of those. And yeah, I think that comes through like a MMORPG, but 
Yeah, I'm also on the hunt for a like RPG game uh, built by a studio out of Asia, and it it kind of are we're strategic about the different types of games we have on. Again, we want to have experiences for everyone, but it comes down also to the founders and if we if they understand like what our ethos is, and that's why we absolutely like fell in love with Glenn. You know, he's not a typical founder that has created you know all these games before but he what he has done in his past so much aligns with who sky mavis is and where we're going and just generally how we believe web3 will progress and what what it takes to do that and that's by bringing the community so yeah if you're an amazing founder i want to talk with you we will most likely over the next like this is a year years and years and years but probably open ronin up um for developers more and more. Not every game will be in the Mavis hub or with a Sky Mavis partnership. Our partnerships, we offer equity investments, tokens, uh, Ron grants. We also have this thing called uh, Own the App Store. So if Glenn brings in wallets and they, they these people create a Ronin wallet, then he'll get a percentage or Tribesters will get a percentage of all transactions in that wallet for X amount of years. So we really want to incentivize our developers to stay with us and bring wallets to our ecosystem. And if you believe in the vision of Sky Mavis and are slowly bringing on these game studios, deeply helping them grow, then you could be, you know, you can, th- that value is probably immense if you really buy into what that looks like because these other, uh, these users will then have this player crossover between games and other interactions you can have within our ecosystem. Um, so yeah, still looking to talk with everyone. Um, That is my entire job. I just talk all day. So, yeah, if you're a developer, please reach out to me at the partnerships at skymavis.com email and we'll have a chat. You uh, you describe my job as well as a investor and podcaster. I talk all day. That's all I do. <laughs> yes. Good. Talk all day um, and then I paint all night because I'm like low-key and introvert. It's like it's really – I'm either like an extreme extrovert and I'm talking to everybody at the party or I'm like painting – by myself for like 48 hours straight on a weekend. Okay. So I'm the same, but you can replace painting with uh, playing video games. Gaming. And I would say that Jiu-Jitsu. I'm probably never going to be the most social person in the room. I have, that, <laughs> I, I have, I have a, a small social battery. It's like I, I, can, I can do a bit of a um, – like I can be social for a few hours, but then I need to like find a, some alone time. Um, <laughs> yes. play some games. Yeah, Good. I'm becoming a bit pretty big gamer too. I got I have most of the consoles. I was a big Skyrim gal on my Xbox mm. for quite some time and then I recently rewarded myself with the PS5 because I've had the other PlayStations, but now I have PS5. Immediately got back from GDC, played God of War and was like sobbing. The lore made was just making me so sad and I was so emotionally attached to it. So, I understand I understand video games as an escape as well and what Web3 enables with them is I like being really super productive. Like I, you know, I, I make these paintings, I grow things. And I think web three is really cool when it comes to video games, because you are being pretty, you're productive with your time. You can end up monetizing your time. You're owning your assets. You're maybe leveling up your assets. You're building this community. I know some of that is standard in general gaming, but yeah, it's cool. A, a fun hot take just to throw into the the user-generated content challenging conundrum, whoever will win that will be the person who understands creation the most. Mm -hmm. Whoever will win what? Sorry, I'm I'm not fully following. Yeah, so the user-generated content conundrum. So the conundrum is that today people can create all kinds of content. Roblox and Minecraft is a great example of user-generated content. In order for it to scale into Web3, it's not a quantity challenge, it's a quality challenge. Mm. Whoever can add a curation layer, a smart curation layer, to the assets that community creates will be the thing that wins at scale. Glenn, are you... Are you doing that? Like, do you envision enabling that for developers with the with the platform eventually? Because it seems like you're starting off with the set of like lore and character development and art, but do you eventually see like these UGC experiences being built from your platform? Yeah, we we kind of have three versions of it. The first version is residency, where we have a very specific design requirement that the users can build, and that will go into the game. The second version of it is something that we call 
demand side process which is let's say as we're developing content for the game we've got a new expansion pack for the game for instance and we need 42 village houses 17 trees nine villagers we think that there's an ecosystem that will be there by the time that we launch it with guilds and DAOs that will have experience and we'll almost it's almost like a tender process where we'll like say hey this month we need 19 houses who wants to build 19 houses with this and this is the price for building that so we have a kind of uh, like a um an ecosystem play that we we plan out for it um so demand side where you where you are providing what is needed and then that can be built by user generated content or guild generated content is super important for us um but but again it, it like we're curating that side the ultimate win is that you allowed that to to bubble inside your community, but you add a really smart curation layer. Now that mm-hmm. could be like we we could probably have a whole podcast on how to solve that particular particular challenge, but you know, you could leverage off your community to vote for things. It's it's a little it's a little bit self-serving to ask the community to, to vote for things. You could get a lot of people that just vote on, based on popularity. Um, you know, so the creation of all the items that are created become a really interesting opportunity because it's not hard to create uh, gen- user-generated content today. Again, it's it's not that we need quantity. It's that quality mm-hmm. has to be able to filter through. Uh, and and look, I, I'd say that that's certainly true for us you know, there are elements of, of our social MMO that has build elements in it, but it's not like Minecraft, for instance, that anybody mm-hmm. can kind of build anything in. So the other thing I would say is that it depends on the game. It depends on the world. It depends on how much interoperability you want on that. So like interoperability and user-generated content could be a really interesting niche for a player. So that could be that, you know, they're designing with certain things in mind that, you know, it's a running asset that is built once that everybody gets to use. I think that's a super interesting thing, you know, and some of those require, you know, pretty like operating standards as to how it would go in, into into each game. But user-generated content is going to be enormous. Curating the the uh, and finding the quality inside it is going to be the biggest challenge, and and then having it in a format that you know developers or studios can consume easily is also going to be a really interesting challenge. But it's a fascinating space. We're gonna we're gonna solve it through demand side where we dictate, you know, we determine what it is the need is, and then people build it off quality and we put it in, um, and. You know, I th- again, I th- think for what it's worth, there's just so many incredibly talented people out there that we think, mm-hmm. you know, the process, the process allows us to put more content out faster than ever before. You know, so and the content's a real challenge in the industry. You know, creating great content that people can engage with as fast as possible, you know, is 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 a part of the fun in, in making always on live operated games and so it's a yeah, real component part content for web3 is like absolutely key and that's why we're super interested in you as well because you have all of these creators that now can have like ownership of the game through the assets or the open market and like they just they need to be fed right and you do that through content and you know some people will hold your web3 assets and not even play your game every day but they like being part of the community and seeing that content it's almost like a meta mmo in itself what is happening in content with content spread across the internet and then also being able to own these assets so it's a very exciting nico from as one of the biggest investors in the space what are you looking at from a games perspective that is uh, interesting so you mean broadly, what am I looking for in games to invest in? Yeah, like what genre are you most mm. excited about for Web3? So one of the difficulties about being both a gamer and a gaming investor is that you tend to lean towards games that you want to play yourself. Yeah. Which, you know, and my problem is I like to play like the, the big games or, or like very strategic games. Um, 
but you know the the most profitable game, profitable games and, and very few people talk about this are mobile games and like social casino games and these types of mm-hmm. games and I, I never play those like i i i i paid a shit ton of money for a gaming pc i'm not going to play like sit and play on my phone right yeah. um also i'm at home all day you know so like i have no reason to play on my phone anyway um what am i looking for i think you know as at bitcraft we um probably put the most amount of emphasis on team um you know team is is key we look at 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 founders that you know have a proven ability to successfully ship games at scale that's in one sentence like what we would look for as a as a step like a first step and then we look for games that make sense within the web3 space what i like to look for is games that use web3 in a foundational way where it's more than just a monetization layer it's more than you know csgo but the skins are nfts right i think that i would call that web 2.5 and i don't mean that in a in a bad way mm-hmm. there's a really good chance where at least in the short term the most successful games um in web3 will will be like that where it's it's just really marginal um but i like to look at at, at the weirder stuff um that that's what gets me excited yeah, I think it'll be, we we are lucky at Sky Mavis because we get to take all these different bets because our main goal is all these users into our ecosystem. So regardless of how it happens, like we're looking at like Web 2.1 games, Web 2.5, because I think the next onset of users from Web 2 to Web 3 is either, you know, slowly through maybe a game that's already exi- in existence, adding Web 3 elements into it and acquiring players that way. Um, I've been really interested in Albion online. I'm trying to get in touch with them and just see like, cause I think their economy would bode really well to adding web three assets. So I want to see what that would look like. Um, shout out Albion. If, if you're listening, please. They <laughs> definitely are hundred percent. They are <laughs> no doubt in interest. Um, or it is a, a totally unique game that leverages web three in a unique way. I think that's what Glenn is really getting at doing Mm -hmm. uh, in this like decentralized, like voting manner. And, um, I, uh, I'm looking for the, the weird stuff as well. And so if you're developing something like wacky and cool, this is a new tool that we're at the genesis of figuring out what it does and how Mm -hmm. to leverage it. And so I'm actually, I'm really interested in the teams are really important and specifically the game designers are really important as well. Do you have a game designer on your team that has done something unique in the past and leverages this new technology as this new tool that can create something different and unique? Uh, So I'd agree with you there. Amazing. So if you do something weird, come talk to me and Kathleen. (laughs) Maybe Glenn. (laughs) Maybe Glenn too. No, he's a nice guy. I'll talk to you all day long. That's great because I also now because we have such a tight knit group of studios that we work with, like Glenn speaks with Alex and Jeff and like the founders of of Axie Infinity and Sky Mavis themselves, you know, but now we can bring Glenn in to help evaluate a game because, you know, we are aligned. We have aligned incentives to succeed as an ecosystem, this family holistically. So, you know, maybe you'll end up talking with Glenn. So. Mm. Amazing. We have Good. a pretty intense vetting process. It's a, it's, I'm sure. it's, yeah, it's super intense, but um, sure. glad to bring partners in. Also, one thing I wanted to touch on, uh, which Glenn, I don't know if you're allowed to speak of or not, but something we found really interesting about Glenn, and it kind of uh, paints a picture of why he's capable of building this community engagement platform, not only because what he's done in building some of the biggest communities, which I kind of wish he talked about, like all of the different things that he would do, like psychologically to build these communities, because it's freaking cool um but at one of the companies he built this uh customer service platform that scaled like 400 million users right uh so he understands like user journey and figuring out what their needs are and what their questions are and how to guide them to end up with a successful result and a happy customer so he also has the chops to actually scale this this technology that he is building <clears throat> no, nobody ever builds anything by themselves. By the way, I got it. Uh, you know, build a team. And, uh, build a, a, team. A, a great build team, a team built incredible products, but we we built them uh, effectively a machine learning product that handled four hundred million customers, and sometimes it, it responded in seconds. Ultimately, read your email, read a database, read a, a machine learning product. Said, "Hey, I think your question is about this." Um, uh, uh, give give a response to it. Um, if uh, the response was accurate, the person could say it was accurate. If it wasn't, then it went to an agent. Um, but the response came from a community site. 
So we had 11,000 people answer questions on a community site that provided all the answers for all of the games. And we had uh, kind of emotional uh, loops with people to kind of get it right. And we had badges and gamification systems and all these kind of fun things to kind of incentivize people to be a part of a, a, a really great community helping other, helping other um, gamers. Yeah, so the, the, cool. these, these things are, yeah, they're super awesome. And we, we get to kind of bring the next version of what that looks like at scale. You know, so we're excited. Amazing. I look forward to, like, in six months, getting the two of you back on, and then we can talk about the progress that has been made, the proof yeah. points that have been shown, the community that has been engaged and involved. Um, maybe even something playable. I don't know. Um, let's see. Good. All right. I think um, we know, people know where to find you. Like like half an hour ago, we discussed that, yeah. and then we dove into some <laughs> other stuff. Um, so that's really good. Um, so, Glenn and Kathleen, thank you so much for joining. This was uh, fantastic. I've I've spent, you. you know, a lot of time with both of you on calls and, you know, I, I knew this was going to be a very enjoyable one. Um, and then, listener, I hope you enjoyed as well, um, as much as we did. I uh, hope you learned something. I hope you're excited about this. Um, and if you are, you know, reach out to Glenn and, and then maybe, you know, you can you can learn from him and at some point, um, you know, perhaps use the tools as well. So with that, we are right and we look forward to speaking to you in the next episode.